Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. The Gen Z Basketball Coaching and Sports Business Show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. David, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Really excited to have you on and, and talk about, right, obviously your career up to this point, but also, right, the awesome new book you just published. I'm really excited, right, to hear about, right, I mean, what really went behind going into it. I mean, but before that, I mean, we spoke a little bit off air about, right, your passion for writing and how, and how you got into that. I know you have some pretty cool stories about getting into the sports industry, but I mean, how did you, like you said, that, maybe start there. How did you get into the sports industry? Maybe what made you realize that basketball is what you enjoyed and what you liked? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I could remember, I mean, in fifth grade, I was just like very drawn to the basketball court. But I never thought, oh, I want to be a writer. You know, I wanted to be a basketball player. But there's one problem. I'm five feet tall. So I pushed it as far as it could go. I played my whole life. I played my first year in college. And, you know, I just really like could not bear the thought of not being around basketball. You know, like that was not a life I wanted to live. And so... I had developed this sort of like side passion of writing this whole time. I just never really thought of it in terms of a career. And then it just kind of clicked. I could be a sports writer and then I could just be on the basketball court again. So it worked out. Well, but you're, I think you're still on your because you did play in college a little bit. You were, you were, you were playing for a good amount. I mean, I mean, what, what kind of got you into maybe even just like that, the excitement of like, like you said, right. Getting back to the court originally, as, uh, eventually as a writer of just being around, hearing shoes squeak, like what made you so yeah. excited about that? You know, I, the thing that I love most about basketball is that in a matter of like minutes, it can completely change. Like, I just love this idea that like two minutes, a team that was like demoralized can go on a run and then change the whole thing. Like, I just, I love how uptempo it was. And I just, I don't know. I loved the intensity that I could have when I was on the court. You know, I'm a five foot woman that, you know, in society you're said to, you know, you're supposed to be quiet. You're supposed to be very like modest on the court. I could be loud, I could scream, I could be in your face. And I just, I love the freedom that I experienced on the court. I like that because you mentioned right how like right being a five foot woman you're supposed to be quiet right and all this stuff but and, and you you mentioned before how like right maybe this right, it could be said on the basketball court you can be loud there too but obviously right you could be even louder right writing a book with the, with a pen in your hand I mean what, right. like, making that transition into into the journalism field I mean did you feel that in any way though like, you know I, I can my voice can be heard tenfold now it was more so like I had to go through a healing process to sort of invent reinvent myself you know like it wasn't like a seamless transition like okay basketball player now writer I think it was like really hard at first but I didn't really think of like power I could have necessarily with the pen it was more like wow this feels so nice to not think about my own story and start telling other people's stories so it more so I was like x'd out of the equation almost it was just like wow I just love the ability to tell other people's you know hardships and joys and you've, I can't wait to, I'm going to jump into all those stories you were telling. I mean, if, originally though, you, I mean, you're doing some of like those comm internships, like how did that look like for you originally getting your foot in the door? Cause obviously right, you, what you do now is tell stories and you're, and you're so great at it, but right. Maybe right off the bat, right. That's not, you know, you can't do that. Right. When you're 21, 22, like there's a process that goes below, before that. Like, what did that look like? Oh, the process was a mess. It was horrible. <laughs> it was a goddamn shame. I, I mean, it was just, I would just apply to everything and just no, no, no. You know, I didn't get the Washington post internship. 
internship. I didn't get the New York Times internship. I didn't get the LA Times internship. I didn't get the Lakers internship. I didn't get the Clippers internship. I mean, I just, at one point I was like joking, but I was very serious. I was like, am I cursed? Like, I don't understand. And it was really hard too, because I was coming from a small school. So I ended up transferring to Occidental College, which is a division three school. And it felt like all the kids from USC, you know, the nearby division one school were getting all the opportunities. And I was just like, man, am I ever going to break through? So, you know, I actually did kind of an unconventional path. I just started freelancing for local papers and, you know, taking on assignments that maybe others wouldn't. And even when I did get my first job, the Orange County Register from 2013 to 2017, because I graduated college in 2013, I was doing like the least desirable work. Like I was writing about little league players and, you know, four-year-old baseball. I mean, it took a really, 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 really long time to write about players that, you know, were quote unquote big time. So where, so where did that change happen where you got to talk to players that were, that were right, that quote unquote, big, I mean, Giannis is as big time as it gets. I mean, for whether it's for me or for really right. anyone else in the league, when you're at that, uh, with the Orange County thing, I mean, obviously like that, there may be some hardship that comes along with that. What was that 180 where like, you know what, in five years, I want to do this. Well, I always wanted to, for sure. The desire was always there, but it wasn't until, so it was in my third year at the register where I was like, wow, I'm really not moving up here at all. Like I'm like destined to be bottom of totem pole here. And um, Bleacher Report Mag just started and they reached out to me and they were like, hey, you know, do you want to freelance? And I also was sending pitches to ESPN and ESPNW. And so at that point I was freelancing on the side. So I was working like, and I was also an assistant basketball coach at a high school because I was making so little money at, you know, the register. And so I was essentially working like 70, 80 hours a week trying to make all of this happen. And when I had these freelance assignments for BR and ESPN, I would get closer to a famous person. Like I would, you know, interview like the sixth man on an amazing division one basketball team or like, you know, just inching closer and closer. Then I did my first NBA story. I, you know, it was Kemba Walker at the time. And I was like, oh my God. And then Gordon Hayward. And I was just like inching, inching, inching. But you know, Gordon Hayward, I, I, only got to interview him for four minutes or something to write like a 5,000 word story. So then over the years, I just kept pushing and pushing and I would get more time and more time. And I think the real breakthrough was going to Lithuania and um, profiling the mellow ball. And I think after that, just a lot of opportunities opened up for me. Okay, so wait, that, that last one, right? Going going over to Lithuania, like everyone just always goes, okay, he went to Lithuania, he went to Australia, and like it's just okay, he went there. But no, I mean, like it's a pretty cold place over there. Like, I mean, what was it like? <laughs> yeah. what, what was that like? I mean, tell us a little about going over there and, and doing that. I thought I was going on like a nice vacay, not vacay, you know, but I thought I was going on like a luxurious, you know, Lamello Ball takes Europe. It was like a destitute farm town in the middle of nowhere. You know, he's from Cali. I'm from Cali. It's why there's a line in the piece. Like we're not in Cali anymore. I mean, it was so ghostly. I mean, there was a cemetery right near the gym. And I just, every time I would drive by the cemetery to get to the gym, I was just be like, this is too much, you know, like this is not even allegorical. This is just, everything here just feels dead and awful in the pit of winter, you know, and it was hard to get food and, you know, Lamello's famous. So his dad somehow catered food to him, but you know, for the rest of us, it was just not good. And I, I treasure that experience because Lamello was not thought of what he is thought of now right? Like there's a lot of people that are on the LaMelo bandwagon, but at the time he was thought of as this 
15-year-old, arrogant, spoiled, bratty kid who everyone loved to hate. So I, I just really treasure seeing him at the beginning of his journey and now having followed and then following him to Australia for the second profile and then now seeing what he's doing in the NBA. It's so interesting to think about how, right, these players are what they appear to be, right? What you read on isn't isn't exactly who they are as people. And you get to see that firsthand when you're with them in person. But, right, I mean, the last year, you didn't really have that luxury to be with people in person. And and I I remember one thing, when I I opened up your book for the first time, I went went right to the front and I went right to the back to see, you know, the the index and the notes. And you did 221 interviews (laughs) during COVID. That is insane. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's it's, when you're with someone, you you can get deep and and get to know them and stuff. How, How did that look like for you in doing all of these virtual? 221 interviews like how I mean it was so hard and not just that but like the language barrier a lot talking to people who Greek is their first language but not just that like working with a translator in person with somebody of a different language is hard enough right I've done that in Lithuania but doing that over zoom because of the pandemic is like double hard there's just like a very cold unfriendliness with a computer like it's just and then you ask the translator then they ask the person then the person goes back to me. I mean it just took hours like it was just hours and hours and hours but I guess if there's a time to be locked in your apartment during a global plague it would be this you know writing a book so on the one hand I was like very thankful for the time because I was forced to be productive but on the other hand it was just it was so hard but I think so many people like genuinely love Giannis that their desire to express their love for him and speak about him made a really challenging moment a lot easier. I can imagine, right? Everyone just has so much fun talking about it, even though, right, you might have to deal with a translator, it might get a little messy, right? right. The subject is just so fun. It, may, it makes the whole experience worthwhile and, and, and fun. Right. So the, the book, right, being called uh, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP, there's definitely a lot, but who is maybe the MVP of you, like helping you write this book? Like there must've been a lot of people I'd imagine, but I mean, okay, first Bucks assistant coach Josh Oppenheimer was amazing. Like he, I just really love talking with him and I interviewed him multiple times because he was there that rookie year with Giannis and then he left the team after a couple of years, but then he's back this season. So it was just really cool to talk to somebody who's like actually been there from the beginning. But I think the second person is Alex, the youngest brother. And there was just so many hours spent talking to him especially because this book was born out of a story that I did that focused on Alex. And I I just think it's interesting viewing Giannis through Alex's eyes because Alex always viewed Giannis as a superhero, even before Giannis was Giannis, you know? And there's something like really special about thinking about Big Brother from Little Brother's eyes. And they're like nine years apart, but they're best friends. And so it's just it was just really cool to, you know, see from Alex's perspective, like how his brother has grown. A topic of perspective is so interesting. So going into when you met Alex, the way you might have seen him, there's the way Alex sees him, there's the way the world mm-hmm. sees him, there's the way mm-hmm. his teammate. Like, there's so many different viewpoints. Like, how did you narrow it down to like, okay, like, who is he? How did you, how did you kind of find that? Yeah, that's a great point because I think that's the beauty of long form, which is like talking to so many people that have so many different opinions and stories about this one person. I think in this age of like the athlete posting whatever they want on their Instagram, you lose that perspective and nuance because it's just a one-sided portrait, you know? And of course it's valuable to hear it from the athlete himself, but there's so many secondary sources and people and friends and family, like they all offer such amazing perspective. And so I, I just, you know, just to kind of preface like I I think that's the value of long form is that you don't get a one-sided view of somebody they're three-dimensional people that deserve three-dimensional stories I think that 
this is the first thing I've done where the person is universally beloved. So that made it slightly easier. Like there's literally not one person in the 221 that had something negative to say about him. But that is because Giannis is a once in a lifetime human being. I think it's fascinating to look at a famous person's life and say, how did he get here? So I think for me, so much was focused on the backstory and and those people helped me craft like, what did a young Giannis look like? Because sometimes the person can remember what he felt like and who he was different than the people that coached him and saw him. So I, I just think I, I tried to just give as many perspectives as possible. I love that, right? Thinking about right him starting off, I and mean, like we all kind of know the like even me, right? Being Greek American, that's followed his career, right? The jersey in the back, the pictures of him. Like obviously, I, I I've done my research. I know a lot about him, but right, reading the book, I'm like, wait, I didn't know that. I didn't know like what right. was the most surprising thing to you, right? In these two twenty one interviews, maybe that one quote where you're like, oh my god, that that happened. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really the racism that he experienced. Like, of course, I knew that this was going to be a part of his journey because just knowing like, you know, geopolitical politics and stuff like that and, and you know, the environments at the time. But that's just never talked about with him. Like, it's a very sanitized Disney happy fairy tale version of his story that that really glosses over these harsh realities. And I think learning about that game at Tricola where fans were saying, go home monkeys. I I just, you know, I, I, I wasn't surprised, but I was just really taken aback by it. Of course, hearing like all, all the things that maybe swept under the rug, but like, you're like, okay, wow, this actually is his reality. He's living every day. Obviously we know about the poverty, but there's so many things that might make like that. That's maybe out of his control, like the situation he was in, but all the other stuff, I mean, that didn't have to happen. And it did. And obviously hearing that part of the story is, is unfortunate, but it's part of it, of course. And you, it's your job to tell that part of it. Uh, maybe going into like him coming, getting drafted, that's got to be a really cool part of the story too. Mm-hmm. Everyone maybe knows about, maybe not the truth about what happened with, with how, how the papers came in or, or, or the draft day stuff or all that. But I mean, what maybe from that stuck with you in terms of, okay, this is how he came to the States and brought his family here and, and, and made that fairy tale come true in the end. Well, I think in that it almost didn't happen. That to me was so shocking, talking with the prime minister at the time who was in charge of this and all the people working behind the scenes to get him the papers that like the Greek government very much did not want to give him papers. Like they dragged their feet on granting him citizenship. And I think like that, that blew my mind because I was like, I didn't know that, you know, it's just been described as like, he gets his papers, he gets drafted, yay, everything is good. And it's like, no, they almost didn't give it to him, you know, and it was at the last minute. So I was just very fascinated by that and also fascinated by the number of people that that, you know, vouched for Giannis and like tried to help, you know, for all the people that didn't and were racist, there were so many other people that, you know, did treat him with respect and dignity. But I was also like really intrigued with the whole Atlanta thing. You know, I think like that was so fun to report, you know, the secret meeting in Italy that I reported that hasn't been out there and just meeting in that basement in Italy and um, just this, the executive that I talked to just, you know, really just crying. Like it was just, it was so beautiful. And like, it's hard to know who is really mythologizing this, right? Like nobody knew that Giannis was going to be Giannis. And I think it was my job to like take away the mysticism of what it's become now. Because the truth is, John Hammond deserves so much credit for drafting Giannis. And Danny Ferry and the Hawks deserve credit for identifying that, yes, he was a serious talent. But the truth is, neither of them actually knew how he'd pan out. And and teams did not think he'd become a superstar. So I just think it was important to keep it real. Like, okay, yes, they had interest, but they Giannis wasn't at the top of anyone's draft really. 
Definitely. And that, right, that whole mystery is such a big part of what made him, what, what still makes him so awesome. Right? And, not, and this book kind of shed some light on that, on that stuff that used to be a mystery. Um, maybe right. more light onto it. I mean, the one thing with the Hawks thing I loved was the whole thing about vegetation being harmed during the draft room. That's right. I'm just picturing it like, boom, like I'm so pissed. No, definitely. Like that's, like that's almost a scene out of a movie, and obviously, it's right. It's written in the book, which is really cool. Uh, but like that, that idea of mystery, it, it, and that, that's one of the things we didn't know about. But I mean, Giannis has always been a mystery, right? And the book, I mean, I think adds to it a little bit with a lot of the chapters being one word. That I thought was really oh, yeah. cool. And when, as I was reading it, though, it all was so like all those words. I mean, it made linear sense to me. I'm reading these words. I'm like, okay, I know what that chapter is about. Like automatically, mm-hmm. it's one word. It's called whatever it is, hunger, law, and I know exactly what it means. What made right. you decide? I mean, a lot of chapters have like you know, it's a full thought it's a full sentence what made you say that one word is the way to go yeah thanks for noticing that you know at first it just started as a way for me to figure out what each chapter is about (laughs) because you have 221 interviews you're like there's so much going on here I have like a hundred trillion binders I like what do I do with this information and I just found that it helped me identify like okay this is about this topic I mean it really like sometimes just like thinking and identifying the theme can help you group stuff so as soon as I knew like hunger clear what that's about loss clear what that's about star clear what that's about you know I was thinking more theme instead of time period and um it just really helped and I don't know I I I like the sound of it too I I like short choppy sentences in my work so maybe it makes sense that you know the chapters are like that too but I also think like you want to write a book that non-sports people can enjoy too so you know I'm trying to straddle the line between super niche basketball and don't know anything about basketball and sometimes one word chapters can like be non-intimidating you know it's not like some like chapter called like pick the picker you know like nobody's like if you're if you don't know basketball you have no idea what that means so I just was like keep it general for the general reader Definitely it makes it super fun. And, and, and like that whole guessing, okay, I'm pretty sure I know what that's about, but let me check this a little bit. I'm pretty sure that star means this time period, but let's see, is that the MVP? Is that not? That was that was definitely a fun game for me to play. And then I obviously read and found out for myself. On top of that whole idea of a design, just on the same topic, the cover of the book, there's like a million pictures. When you think of Giannis, there's no like one picture I think of. There's like a million. There's there's the windmill dunks, there's the MVP trophy. There's so many. What made you zero in on the on the on the on the picture that you picked for the front of the book? I love this picture so much because it's not necessarily a sportsy pick, right? Like it's not usually sports books are like the dunk or, you know, a shot. It's it's very clearly a sports book. And from the beginning, you know, the publishers and I were on the same page that this is not just a sports book. This is a, a human interest book about a person who plays sports, but we want to invite non-sports people to pick this up as well. The second part is that the struggle was we didn't know. So it was supposed to come out August 2021 because we thought he'd be in free agency. That was the pick. We had no idea that he would stay in Milwaukee. We had no idea they'd win the championship, obviously. So we couldn't pick a cover that had him in a Bucks jersey because what if he signed with the Heat or like what? I mean, it just would not work. So we had to pick a non-jersey shot, you know, and blue is a nod to Greece and the colors. And I love the blue in it. And finally, I love that the the photo of him has his eyes looking up. It's a very hopeful shot. It's 
it his eyes say so much in this pick and as you know from reading the book eyes are a very uh, prominent motif in the book like you have the priest at Giannis's church in Sepolia who noticed Giannis's innocent eyes it, the eyes just play a role throughout the book and so I just saw like it, it looks like wow he's such a dreamer such a thinker so thoughtful so wise and I, I think it says so much about who he is as a person I love that. And that's such an awesome idea. And that gives so much reason as to why that's the cover of the book. Everyone would kind of think, oh, it's the book of Venice is going to be him doing a windmill or him flexing. Right. But no, it's right. right. It's him and his, like, as a human being. And that idea of, I mean, like humanizing him from this like great athlete to like who he is as a person, that's a huge part of the book of, as well, right? Everyone talks about family over everything. But the book goes a little bit deeper than that into a, a, the actual whole thing behind his family. I mean, you obviously knew it going in that that was a big part of him. But when it comes to like him ripping up the contract, going to Spain, like all these different situations that prove no matter what, family comes first. Like when did it become apparent to you? Like, okay, like this is a whole different level than I thought coming in. Well, when, when I was interviewing Jared Dudley and he was telling Giannis when Giannis was 21, like, you got to move out of your mom's house. Like, you got to find a, your own spot. And he's like, no. Like, he's just like so insulted. You know, I will never leave my mom. You know, it's just a different level of closeness, right? Like, you know, I'm sure, you know, boys and men, they're like trying to leave the second you can, you turn 18, you know, and um, he's just different. And I just realized they have a different level of closeness than any other family I've come across or interviewed. And, and I talked to a lot of families for my stories, especially mothers, like they're central in all of my work. And there's just a different bond with this family than other families. The one thing that I felt was so unique and important is that we have a tendency when we talk about Giannis's story to really focus on the trauma of his upbringing and like soul trinkets by the street poor but nobody ever talks about the joy that they had as a family growing up and so it was so important for every difficult moment you see in the book you see joy and laughter and love and there's a scene with the family going to sell items at this upscale beach and they stop by this beach and they go in the water and they're just having fun and it's such a microcosm of their relationship and how even through all these hard times you know Giannis had a very very happy childhood I definitely want to key in on that then. Like the thing about the joy of, 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 of you know, their entire, like their lives going to that point. Cause everyone always, right. You, you always think it's like, it's terrible 24 seven. Obviously that wasn't the case. There were obviously some really great moments and they built a family bond over that. I mean, a big part of that, I mean, that, that's a part of the story to, you know, to get from, from Giannis's mom and from his brothers. I mean, you've been working your whole career to build that credibility, to ask those kinds of questions, both the question you asked, but also, I mean, who you are is what allowed you to get those answers. How important was that? Like having that kind of credibility to get the, 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 the intricate details as to this whole family dynamic from 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so important. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why his mom opened up in the interview because I didn't ask anything about basketball. Like I literally was just like, I just want to know about like you guys as a family, as people. And I think subjects can tell when you're after something soundbitey or you're really trying to genuinely get to know their story. And, you know, I, I hate the way sometimes athletes are talked about in just gross ways. You know, people just forget that they're people. And the one thing I always try to do with my work is, is person first, athlete second. And everything that goes on the court is influenced by everything off the court and everything off the court influences how you are on the court. And so my hope is to kind of be the story that fuses those elements in somebody's life. And, you know, we, we started this conversation by talking about me interviewing four-year-olds and uh, little league and feeling like I'm never moving up, but 
I swear all those things were in preparation for this. You know, if I, if you would have told me that I graduated college and I would write a book on Giannis, I would just be like, Oh my God. And like run to Mexico or something. Like I would be so afraid, you know, like I just, I can't do this. Um, but you know, seven years later, the grind of, of practicing your craft and interviewing people every day and, and going through these situations that maybe aren't as pressure filled, just like really prepared me. And I'm obviously you, you got, you, you definitely got your respect right after, right. When the book was released, I mean, as your Twitter was just exploding, right. With everyone congratulating <laughs> you and all the support, um, which obviously is very well deserved. I'm mean, thinking about how far you've come from that first moment. The same thing can be said about Giannis, right? All the support he's getting now. I mean, whether it's yeah. from the community, from all these fans, as the author of this book and getting, you know, so much love from this book being published, how have you maybe noticed the support that Giannis gets? I mean, we go to all of his games, since he was a rookie, we'd be going to all his games yeah. and, and stuff. How have you noticed like that kind of support, whether it's for, for yourself, for the book, for him? like just everything about him just comes with so much love like how have you kind of realized that well I was so fascinated by the playoffs it was like watching people fall in love with him for the first time like people who are not like you right you've you you've been falling in love with him I was really fascinated by the amount of people that are falling in love with him for the first time you know like people different than you like people that saw his quote about ego and humility and they were just like wow this guy is so thoughtful this guy is so wise oh my god like who is this Giannis guy and it was like so wonderful to watch people fall in love with him for the first time right like we remember this from 2013 to 14 when he's a rookie and he's so lovable and adorable and it was like happening all over again and people did not participate in this project because they like me as a writer like they participated because they love him and I just I've never profiled somebody so beloved you know and for me personally though it was people were so nice like it was so scary putting out a book you know it's my first book and just the support was just amazing like I will never forget it it was really cool it's awesome hearing that. And it's funny, like for, for me in terms of like, right, falling in love with him for the first time, I've always been following his whole career, but I went to game six in Milwaukee to sit outside in the district. All my friends thought I was crazy. I, I didn't tell you this today. All my friends, all my American friends were like, dude, like, what are you, you're going to spend money and go for a day just to sit outside the arena? I'm like, yeah, this is, this, this is awesome. Thank God they won. It was incredible, obviously. It could, it could not have been more perfect with the whole 50 piece triple, like everything about it was just yes. awesome. Part of me wishes I could have like been around like, the city at like the next day was just, I mean, like the, the day I was there, which like, everywhere you go, everyone's talking about it. Everyone's just, and it, right. It's about both the basketball part of it, but also him as a person. Everyone loves everything about it. Um, but I mean, right. And thinking all the great feedback you had, did you, did you get any feedback from me honest? Obviously you interviewed his mom and stuff, but like, did he reach out and say like, oh, wow, this was, this was awesome. Like, thank you for telling that story. He hasn't said anything, but I know he's had the book for months. So I, I know it's been in their hands for a while, but I hope they love it. I really do. Like, you know, when we talked about like the joy amid the trauma, like I really just hope they, you know, they appreciate that, right. That it wasn't this like, oh, sob story. Like there's so much love and joy in it. So I really, I really hope they love that. You sent him 50, co- not 49, <laughs> 50 copies of the book. You got 50 That's of them? Good. That's good. That's good. I should, you said it's a big quote. Yeah, maybe, maybe right after this call, maybe the order might be placed. Who knows? He might be getting a big UPS. You're on to something. <laughs> I, I picked up a piece of confetti off the floor. It's in the frame. It's in the frame right behind me. And I told everyone, I'm like, I, I mean, I, I don't really want to sell this, but for 50 singles, not for, may, maybe for 50 exactly, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I go for I, fifty thousand. Don't count your maybe. I, I confetti. <laughs> I picked up the phone. Like, it was like a per- no one stepped on it. It was like a perfect. Like, it was perfect. But no, I mean, obviously, right? Thinking about there's so much that going in there right, with the support with him, or obviously with the book. It's incredible. Right, seeing this all come full circle. You've come a long way in doing this. I mean, I just have to ask. Like, you've learned so much 
much in writing this book, but even before this, you, you mentioned before how like you wouldn't be able to believe it seven years ago, you'd be writing this book now. So what advice would you give yourself? Like, right. I mean, maybe going through some of the trenches early on in your, in your career as a writer to get to work, like, how would you maybe help another young woman? Like how, what, what, what's something that you feel is something you wish you could tell someone younger to help them on their path? Like, don't be in such a rush to get to where you want to go. Like I, the second I graduated, I was like, why can't I be at SI? Why can't I be at ESPN? Why can't I be at Bleacher Report? Why am I not there? Why am I here? And I spent so much time trying to get somewhere that I wasn't as present where I was. And I want people to be ambitious like I was. Like I was so ambitious. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes when you want to be somewhere else so badly, you don't see the gift right in front of you. And it is a real gift to cover high school. It's a real gift to start out at a small paper because you're learning who you are as a writer, as a person. And I just wish that I wasn't so in a rush to advance, you know, when you get caught in the trap of always trying to advance, it's like a never ending hamster wheel. And it really, you don't get to enjoy what you're doing as much as you could have. So I would say like center joy and not necessarily ambition. Definitely enjoy the, the process is a huge part of it. Maybe not the process going on over there in Philly, maybe not that one, but the process <laughs> going on with right going, going through it. I mean, because like, right, you, know, you, you remember those days fondly, right? Of you going through exactly. it. Right, even almost just as much as you do. Right, the success of now and all the all the all the all the love for the book. It's just as as fulfilling having gone through it. Um, so, so Miran, I mean, thank you so much for joining the show and sharing this. I mean, this was just I haven't laughed this much in a podcast in a long time. Um, just talking Same. about yeah, going through it all. So thank you so much. I can't wait to see this go live. I can't wait for right. I mean, there's so much support for the book. I can't wait to see the support for this show. I mean, it kind of just I think it follows Giannis, it follows you, uh, it follows yeah. the book. So this will be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see this go live and and hear so much great feedback. Thank you so much for for joining the show. Oh, this was such a blast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.